0: Good morning, Grace. Turn in your Bibles to Ezra chapter 5. If you're visiting, we're going through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. In the Hebrew Bible, they're one book, so we're going to cover both of them through our series, which I've titled The City of God. Well, we're learning to be the city of God here in Santa Maria. We're learning to be the city on a hill that Jesus spoke of, shining forth the light of the gospel. So Ezra chapter 5, if you're visiting... Briefly, Let me bring you up to speed. Uh, after King David, his son Solomon was king over Israel, and then there were many kings after him. The nation of Israel was split into Judah and Israel, and both of those nations turned away from worshiping Yahweh, the Lord, and so they were sent into exile. But the prophet Jeremiah preached to them and said, Yahweh is going to bring you back after 70 years. You're, you're in Babylon in captivity and exile because of your rebellion, but after 70 years, God will bring you back. We saw in Ezra 1, 42,360 of these Israelites, the first wave of returnees made their way back. Chapters 2 and 3, they began work on the temple, and we saw in chapter 4 last week, as they're rebuilding the temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians, As they got started, their adversaries came towards them, put pressure on them, and they quit building. They stopped doing what they were called to do. So that should bring you up to where we are in Ezra chapter 5. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for your word. Unfortunately, we don't love your word as much as the psalmist said he did in Psalm 119. In fact, I would say he didn't love it as much it's a picture of your son jesus who delighted to do your will we fail all the time but your son jesus was perfect for us lord we want to love your word like psalm 119 says help us to do that and in doing that father we pray psalm 43 this morning that you would send out your light and your truth And that your light and your truth would lead us to your holy hill, to the altar of God. To God, our exceeding joy. As we look at your word today, Father. As your light and your truth come towards our hearts from your word, would you draw us into your presence so that we can say that Jesus is our exceeding joy. Do it by the Spirit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, sometimes the Old Testament writers take a long time and they spill a lot of ink in telling their stories and they certainly didn't consult any modern day preachers when doing so. So this preacher has 35 minutes to cover two chapters in the book of Ezra today, but we have to cover chapters five and six together because I think that's the way the author of the books of Ezra and Nehemiah meant them to be. He meant them to be preached together. He would want it that way. He has purposely written a lengthy section that he intends to be preached in one sermon. He just probably wasn't aware of time constraints, which is what we have today in our culture. So since we're covering two chapters and since we have a time restriction, let's just get down to it, shall we? We saw last week in Ezra chapter 4 that this world is always going to hate the church The world will always hate us. Jesus said that in John 15, verses 18 through 20. We saw last week, people will hate your guts because you're a Christian, but you have to love them to death. People will hate you. Haters gonna hate. That's just life in the kingdom. Haters gonna hate. That's true. But preachers gonna preach. How do we endure persecution and hatred from the world? How do we stay focused on our mission? How do we stay focused on our mission to be busy making disciple making disciples as a church? The answer is this. We gather each week and we hear the word of God preached. That's how we stay on mission at Grace. Every Sunday, preachers going to preach. Why? Because that's the way that God designed it. You're going to hear this preacher preach this big idea a bunch of times today. So get ready because this preacher is going to preach this. The word of God sparks the work of God In order to spread the worth of God. That's our big idea today. God's word as it comes through public preaching sparks and ignites this passion in his people to be busy doing the work of God. Here in our own church and here in our own city all the way to the nations of the world. So that Jesus would be seen as glorious. So that Jesus would become the treasure, the exceeding joy of the people groups in the world. God's word ignites passion in his people to be busy making disciple, making disciples. God's word recalibrates disciples to be busy working for his kingdom and for his glory. God's word captures our wayward hearts and minds and it redirects us to our purpose in life, which is this. To spread the worth of his name among our city, our nation, and the people groups of this world. The word of God sparks the work of God to spread the worth of God. That's what we'll see in Ezra chapter 5 and 6. We will see the word of God motivating God's people to begin rebuilding the temple because they stopped in chapter 4. And then finishing the temple. But remember what we saw last week. The hatred of the world. And the opposition and threats. By their adversaries. Caused Israel to halt their work. On rebuilding the temple. They stopped doing what they were called to do. Because of their adversaries. Haters going to hate. And that hatred caused Israel. To freeze in their tracks. But Yahweh. The God of Israel, the sovereign Lord, has a remedy to recapture his people's hearts and get them passionate about his kingdom. The remedy? Preachers. Preachers going to preach because preachers are the instrument that God uses to recalibrate his people when they get off track. So look at verses 1 through 2, and let me show you where I'm getting this. Here, the word of the Lord. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jazadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them supporting them. Remember what we saw last week in Ezra chapter 4. The people of God quit working on rebuilding the temple. But because God is passionate about his fame and his renown, he sends the prophets, the preachers, Haggai and Zechariah to encourage the people of God to begin rebuilding again. Haggai and Zechariah began prophesying and preaching to encourage people to continue with the rebuilding of the temple. Now, notice the twofold aspect of preaching here. First, preaching is for God's glory, preaching is ultimately for God's glory, that He would be seen as He is, as glorious. Preaching is ultimately for God's glory. Notice that verse 1 says that Haggai and Zechariah were preaching in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. When the Old Testament speaks of God's name, of Yahweh's name, it is speaking of his character, who he is, his attributes, how he deals with with his people, how he deals with this world. So first of all, preaching is about God and his character, who he is. Preaching is not about the preacher. Please understand that. Preaching is not about the preacher. Preaching is about the God who is revealed in the book that preachers are preaching from. Please don't make sermons about the preacher. Sermons are all about God and his glory. The second aspect of preaching is that preaching is for God's people. Preaching is ultimately for the glory of God, but preaching is also designed to help God's people. Notice that verse 2 says the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, were supporting them. This is what God's word is designed to do. It's designed to recalibrate his people for kingdom purposes. Preaching is designed to recalibrate the church to be busy spreading the worth of Jesus' name. To be busy being the city of God. To be busy being the city on a hill. John Piper says, Christian preaching is an expository exaltation over the glories of God in his word, designed to lure God's people from the fleeting pleasures of sin into the sacrificial path of obedient satisfaction in him. Christian preaching is an expository exaltation, a joy, the preacher should have joy and passion. He should spit when he preaches, which I do expository exultation, glorying over the God who is revealed in the word with passion. And that kind of preaching, God's word is designed to lure you and me away from the fleeting pleasures of sin into the sacrificial path of obedient satisfaction in him. And I think that's what the prophets Haggai and Zechariah are doing here. As the people build the temple... And are tempted to quit and get discouraged and throw in the towel. God's word comes to strengthen his people, to support his people, to spark the work of God. So that the worth of God would extend to the nations. And because God is committed to upholding the worth of his name. And because his people bear his name, it is fitting That God would continue his work among his people. And the way that God works for his people is through his word. God's word supports his people that they might reflect his glory as the city of God. God's word supports his people that they might make his name famous. God's word supports us so that we would make Jesus' name famous. And that's why it is very important for you to be here each week so that you can hear the public preaching of God's word. Because you're probably like me. I get lost in my, my little kingdom of self kids, homework, laundry, dishes, work, etc. If you're like me, we get lost in our little snow globe kingdoms of self where we get shaken by life and all the snow goes up in the air and we're distracted and we can't see anything except what's in our little snow globe world. And we need the public preaching of God's word to come in and shatter these little snow globe worlds that we live in to realize there is a real globe that we live on, that we exist on, and we we want God's name, the name of Jesus Christ. We want the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. So if you're like me, I need preaching every week. And that's why it is so important for you to be here, to make it a priority, to prepare your heart to hear God's word each week. We need to be recalibrated by the preaching of God's word every Sunday, every Sabbath. Yes, we are that's sinful that we need preaching at least once a week. The word of God sparks the work of God to spread the worth of God. Preachers going to preach the word of God so that it will spark the people of God to be busy doing the work of God. So that the worth of God spreads Throughout this world. Preachers gonna preach, and haters gonna hate. And haters started hating on God's people once they began their rebuilding efforts. Look at verses three through five. At the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozani and their associates came to the Israelites and spoke to them thus: Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this, What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. Now, let's get the time structure down here. It has been almost 15, 16, 17 years since Israel got scared by their adversaries and stopped rebuilding the temple in Ezra 4. So where we ended last week, 15, 16, 17 years have gone by where Israel just put a halt on the rebuilding efforts because people of the world came against them and were hating on them. So the temple work stopped. Nothing happened. Dust collected. Hammers were untouched. No foremen, no hard hats, no blueprints. So when Israel is sparked by the word of God through the preaching of the prophets Haggai and Zechariah they start rebuilding the temple and their adversaries don't like hearing the sound of hammer meeting nail once again. So Tatanai and 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 Shetharbozanai Ask the leaders of Israel, who gave them permission to start building again. Tat and Sheth want names. They want answers. The adversaries, Tat and, and Shethar Bozani and their cronies, show up, and they demand to know what's going on and who's in charge of this building project. Now, following Ezra 4 that we looked at last week, you would think that Israel would get scared and stop building. And there's that moment here in between verse 4 and verse 5 where you think that's going to happen. You think Israel is going to stop. They're going to quit because they're scared. But then verse 5 comes in like a tsunami. But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews. And they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius. And then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. God's eye was on his people so that they would succeed in being the city of God. God has his eye on his covenant people because they represent him as the city of God in this world. So he will see to it that his glory and that his fame spread all the way to the nations of the world. All the way to the unreached people groups of the world. John Calvin said, so numerous are the dangers which surround us that we couldn't stand a single moment if his eye did not watch over our preservation. So numerous are the dangers that surround us that we couldn't stand a single moment if his eye did not watch over our preservation." God's eye is upon us and his eye is upon us and reminding us and waking us up each week through the public preaching of his word. Why do we need that? We need this reminder that God's eye is upon us. We need that reminder through preaching. It's because you and I both live in these little snow globe worlds that get shaken up by the busyness of life and we get distracted and we forget that we are here for a reason. To make the name of Jesus famous. You are here on this planet for a reason. So that at your workplace, you make Jesus' name famous. So that in your neighborhood, people know, that guy's a Christian, he worships Jesus. That is why you are here on this earth. To let the people in your little world know. To let the people around the world know. And that's why we need the public preaching of God's word every week. Because if you're like me, I get caught up in my little snow globe world. And it gets shaken. And there's snow everywhere. And I can't see what's going on or where I am. We need that reminder. And that was true of Israel. Here in Ezra 5, God's eye will watch over his people. Because his people's adversaries are about to send off a little tattletale letter to king Darius, king of Persia. So look at verses 6 through 17. We'll read about this little tattletale letter that they send off to king Darius to try to stop the people of God from being the city of God. Look at verse 6. This is a copy of the letter that Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozani and his associates, the governors who were in the province beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent him a report in which was written as follows. To Darius the king, all peace. Be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. It is being built with huge stones and timber is laid in the walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them thus, who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? We also asked them their names for your information, that we might write down the names of their leaders. And this was their reply to us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people to Babylonia. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt. And the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple and that was in Jerusalem and brought into the temple of Babylon, these Cyrus the king took out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered to one whose name was Sheshbazzar, whom he made governor. And he said to him, "'Take these vessels, go and put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem.' and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then this Sheshbazar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and from that time until now it has been in building, and it is not yet finished. Therefore, if it seems good to the king, let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king for the rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem, and let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. So Tatanai and, and Shetharbozani send off their letter to Darius to try to say, do some research, is this true? Were they given permission? So tattle-tale Tatanai and, and shame-shame Shetharbozani send off this letter to Darius, hoping that he will stop the rebuilding efforts. Now obviously it took time for Tatanai's letter to get to King Darius in Persia. So the suspense at this point must have been killing Tat and Sheth at this point. You know, they just can't wait to find out what's happening. And so since we're waiting on King Darius's response to come back, we're still waiting because the letter's been sent off. We're going to look at it in chapter six in a moment. Let's pass the time and let Alfred Horath fill in the history of the mail system during King Darius's reign. Darius the Great introduced several changes in the way the empire was administered, and the highway system was one of his high priorities. The Persian royal road stretched from 1,700 miles from Susa through Arbela near Nineveh to Sardis. The road was carefully maintained, and rough stretches were paved. It was the Persians who invented horseshoes to facilitate mail moving over this royal road. Post stations were positioned on average every 15 miles, so Persian couriers could mount fresh horses. This communication network functioned so well that a letter written in Susa would reach Sardis in one week. And Horath goes on to say that on average, a courier could have traveled 250 miles a day, while a caravan would have averaged about 19 miles a day. So if the Persian road system was in place and fully operational during the events of Ezra, chapter 5 and 6, then it would have taken somewhere between one and two months for Tatnai's letter to reach Darius and then for Darius to send a response. So how did Darius respond? If you are Tatanai and Shethar Bozani at this point, you want to know. And if you're an Israelite hearing the books of Ezra and Nehemiah read aloud for the first time, you are dying to know. How will Darius respond? Will he put a stop to the rebuilding efforts like the previous Persian kings did? Maybe you want to know the answer, Grace, because you're not familiar with the story. Maybe you're thinking, enough suspense. Get to it, pastor. It's taking you longer to answer the question than it would have for a letter to travel back and forth in Ezra's day. We know, Pastor, that Cyrus was favorable to the people of God because we saw that in Ezra 1. But what about the new king? How did King Darius respond? Inquiring minds want to know. Well, let's read God's word and find out. Look at Ezra chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Then Darius the king made a decree. And search was made in Babylonia, in the house of the archives where the documents were stored. And in Ekbatana, the citadel that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found on which this was written. A record. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree. Concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits and its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, let them be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. Now therefore, Tatanai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, Rams or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it and his house shall be made a dung hill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. The response of King Darius is clear evidence here that God is committed to upholding the worth of his name. This is clear evidence that God has his eye on his people, which we just read. This is vintage Yahweh. This is how Yahweh typically works. He cares for his people and he will ensure that worship will happen in Jerusalem at the temple so that his fame will spread to the nations. And he uses pagan kings and nations to fund his worship. You got to love a God like that. Darius investigated the matter and he found it to be true. The Israelites were given permission by King Cyrus to rebuild the temple. And then Darius informs Tatannai and Shethar Bozani to let the work of God continue. But did you notice in the reading those words to Tatanai and Shethar Bozani from King Darius in verse 6? Keep away. Those two words, keep away, are evidence that God has his eye on his people. And then Darius informs them that they must provide everything that the Israelites need. Take it out of your bank account, Tat and I. And Darius gives a solemn warning in verses 11 through 12. If anyone tries to stop the spread of Yahweh's fame, the spread of his name to the nations, then something will happen to that person that they don't want to happen to them. Look again at verse 11. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict... A beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. How committed is God to upholding the worth of his name? How committed is Jesus to seeing his name spread to the ends of the worth? Jesus is so committed that he'll use a foreign king to not only fund the rebuilding of his temple, but he'll even cause that king to make a law that says if anyone interferes with God's work, they'll end up impaled on a stake and their house will become a toilet. The word of God sparks the work of God in order to spread the worth of God. And here in Ezra 6, we have Yahweh using the word of a pagan king to help spread the worth of his name. And people think that God is boring. This is vintage Yahweh, grace. This is how your God works. That ought to give you just enough hope. To get you through whatever it is you're going through. Right now. Whatever God's people are going through. He is present. His eye is upon them. And he has resources at his disposal. Even pagan kings. All for the benefit and the help of his people and what they're going through. And right now, in this sanctuary, God's people are going through the book of Ezra, and there's a lot of real estate left to cover. So put your eyes, again, on chapter 6, in verses 13 through 18. Beginning in verse 13, and then according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatani, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bozani and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs and as a sin offering for all Israel 12 male goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service or the work of God at Jerusalem as it is written in the book of Moses or as it is written in God's word. We see God's commitment to his glory and his fame in verses 13 through 18. Now notice the two decrees here. You have the decree of the God of Israel. But then you have the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes. This is showing us that God often works through people to accomplish his will. And here it is the kings and leaders of the world. And he works through his prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. Verse 14 tells us again that as the word of God went forth, the people prospered. As preachers preached, people prospered. And the temple was finally finished, all because of God's commitment to uphold his glory in this world. The word of God sparks the work of God in order to spread the worth of God. And so the building is complete, it's finished, and now Israel is ready to party. They're ready to get their worship on. They're ready to have church up in here. So look at verses 19 through 20. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover, for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean, so they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests, and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Did you notice how gospel-centered their worship was? They celebrate forgiveness through sacrificial atonement. They keep the feast of unleavened bread. And they reached out to the nations and invited them to repent and to join the people of God. And they did it all with joy. You can't miss the theme of joy here. And who made them joyful? The text says Yahweh did. The Lord made them joyful. And why? Because their joy pointed to God, pointed to Yahweh as their treasure. And when Jesus is your treasure, he is mightily glorified. Jonathan Edwards said, The end of creation is that the creation might glorify God. Now what is glorifying God but a rejoicing at that glory he has displayed? The end of creation, the purpose of creation, is that creation might glorify God. Now, what is glorifying God? But a rejoicing at that glory that he has displayed. That's what Israel is doing here. They're rejoicing in the glory that Yahweh has displayed. And all of this joyful worship in Ezra 6, of course, is pointing us towards Jesus, the Passover lamb, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. All of this and Ezra 6 is pointing us to God's glory as John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You want to know how you glorify God? You rejoice in the glory that has been revealed in his Son, Jesus Christ. And when you say, he's my treasure, he's my delight, he is my exceeding joy then God is mightily glorified in your life. And that's what Israel is doing in Ezra 6, and that's what we should be doing here every Sunday as we gather to hear the preaching of God's word. We gather here each week to rehearse the gospel together. We gather here each week to celebrate forgiveness through substitutionary atonement. We gather here every week to joyfully celebrate that Jesus lived the life that we could never live because we're sinners. And we gather here each week to celebrate the fact that Jesus died the death that we all deserve because we're sinners. And we gather here every week to celebrate the fact that God raised him from the dead and he's coming again. And we gather here each week to hear his word preached because we are sinners who need weekly recalibration. And as we hear his word preached, we know that, the, that we are then called to go into all the world and to preach the very gospel that we celebrate here each week. That's what Israel is doing in Ezra 6.21. Did you notice they were inviting others to come worship Yahweh? Remember, the word of God sparks the work of God in order to spread the worth of God. We come here each week to hear the word of God through a preacher. We do not gather to hear a preacher. We gather to hear the word of God as it goes out from the mouth of a preacher so that we get recalibrated to do the work of God here at Grace and the work of God in our neighborhoods and our workplaces and in the world. We gather here at Grace each week to get recalibrated to go out into the world so that Jesus' name and his honor would be known in our world. We gather here each week to hear the preaching of the word of God because you are just like me. We live in these little snow globe worlds that get shaken up by the issues of life, homework and laundry and dishes and stress at work and issues with our neighbors, and we get distracted and we can't see anything because of all the snow that's running around us, the issues of life. And we gather here each week to get recalibrated. We gather here each week so that the word of God would shatter the little snow globe worlds that we build, that we start building Sunday afternoon. We don't just gather to hear a great sermon and leave. Our focus is not on filling this sanctuary with as many people as we can. That is not our focus. Our focus is to preach the word of God so that whoever shows up gets recalibrated by the gospel and then leaves here ready to take the name and the fame of Jesus to the world. As Trevin Wax says, success is not filling an auditorium to hear a preacher but filling the world with ordinary preachers who speak the gospel. That's success. You want to know how we gauge success here, Grace? It's not filling this auditorium to hear some great preacher because we like him. We gather here so that you hear the word of God, you get recalibrated, and then all of you and me go out into the world as ordinary preachers preaching the gospel in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our homes, and in our families. That's success. And that's why we gather to rehearse the gospel so that we leave here refreshed and renewed with a passion to speak the truth. Truth of the gospel to our friends and families and co-workers and neighbors. We gather each week to be reminded from God's word that we exist to ignite a passion in every person. To glorify and enjoy God everywhere and everything. We gather here each week to hear the word of God preached so that we will be reminded that we are to live busy lives making disciple making disciples. We gather here each week to hear a preacher. But then We leave. recalibrated by God's word, and we go fill the world with ordinary preachers. That's success. How do we gauge success here at Grace? It's you and me leaving this building after we have heard a preacher, and that preaching transforms us into ordinary preachers who fill this world. That is success. So let me ask you, are you telling people about Jesus? In your workplaces, with your neighbors, with your friends, with your family, with the barista that you see every morning, with the cashier at your favorite grocery store, are you telling people about Jesus? Are you an ordinary preacher? Come here every week. And get recalibrated to take the gospel to your world. Show up here every week and get recalibrated by God's word to go do the work of God for his glory. And as you go and preach the gospel to people, as you go to make disciples, remember, some people will hate you. Haters gonna hate. But you return here every Sunday to hear the word of God preached. Haters going to hate, but this preacher is going to preach so that y'all preachers are going to leave here and go preach out there all for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to ignite our hearts that we would say that you are our exceeding joy. God, I ask you to do that for everyone here. Stir up in our hearts that we be flabbergasted that you love us and that Jesus did everything to make us right with you. And then, God, I ask for everyone here that this week you would give us an opportunity to share Jesus with someone. Open the doors, Father. In whatever places we are, I pray, God, that you would give us opportunities to tell people about your son to be able to say Jesus Christ is my treasure he's my exceeding joy would you do that so that your fame your name spread to the ends of the earth do it by the power of the spirit for your glory in Jesus name amen